0: Did you ever have an employee, supplier, or a business partner that was not all they were cracked up to be and then land your business in trouble? My next guest helps businesses sidestep those kinds of problems and saves corporate clients millions of dollars every year by reducing their liability exposure. She's Candace Tall.
1: This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business M-O-L-L-C.
0: Candace Tal is a licensed private investigator who saves corporate clients millions of dollars every year by reducing their corporate liability. And she does it as CEO of InfoTal Worldwide, a corporate security and investigations firm helping emerging growth companies as well as the Fortune 500 around the world in a variety of sectors, including biotechnology, financial services, high technology, manufacturing, and professional services. Candace and her team of seasoned security specialists know what rocks to look under. In the more than 30 years the company has been in business, they've conducted over 2 million investigations, In over 140 countries, in everything ranging from employee background checks to due diligence investigations, computer forensics, and compliance risk mitigation. That's just to name a few. Her company's employment screening programs, for example, are second to none in terms of accuracy. They have a strong focus on best practices. They're highly accurate and give you results that you can rely on 100%. And I am very interested in learning more about that, for sure. Candace is also an active member of numerous trade associations, American Society for Industrial Security, the National Association of Chiefs of Police, and the Society of Human Resource Managers, just to name a few. She's also served on the board of the World Association of Detectives for over 10 years. How cool is that? It means you won't be able to hide anything from her, that's for sure. And I am very excited to have her with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Candace. Thank you so much, Hannah. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. You know, I, I am fascinated by your business, Candace. and, you know, what's a nice girl like you deciding to become a private investigator? How did that happen?
1: <laughs> well, that uh, was a long time ago, over 30 years ago. I had a great interest in creating a new type of reporting for investigative work, um, a Back then, things were done in a very sort of traditional gumshoe type of manner. Most investigative reports back then looked a lot like um, injury reports, personal injury reports, that type of thing, and were very basic. And so I took, I had a background prior to that in uh, civil and environmental engineering, and I underlaid um, civil engineering type reports and overlaid investigative data onto those reports. And that was pretty uh, new at the time. Uh, no other companies were really doing that kind of reporting. And it caught on like wildfire. Pe- companies became very interested. It was a much more structured approach to presenting the data and uh, um, helping clients to understand where their risks lay um, and identify issues that were existing in the workplace at the time.
0: I can imagine how that, that got today. popular.
1: Yes, yeah. It became very. We were growing very, very rapidly back then. And clients were impressed with the type of results that we found uh, and consistently high quality of the work that we were able to produce for them. And I'm sure the format that you
0: created just added that to that level of professionalism and just set you apart from
1: everybody else. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the way things uh, turned out. And also, we found that as time went along, we were able to create better and better data sets for clients, particularly high-tech companies at the time, uh, high-tech biotech banks, law firms in particular, um, who really need that quality of information to to decide what actions to take next, whether it's to prevent risk in business, whether it's to screen employees and executives and so on and so forth. Business relationships, intelligence gathering for business, uh, transactions, that type of thing. And so that really became an, an essential part and core of the business as it is today.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, I can see that impor- investigations are just very important for getting to the bottom of things so that you have the right information, like, like you said, the quality of information, so people can make more informed, smart business decisions. Now, one type of investigation your company does that applies to any size business is that employee background check. Tell me about that and how what you do is different than, let's say, my going out to the Internet, punching in somebody's name, and then clicking on the link that says, if you want more information, please pay $29.99 or, you know, thirty nine ninety nine. dollars what, what is it that right. sets you apart from that?
1: Sure. So those types of um, background checks, uh, the, that many people t- try to do uh, on their own, even with online database capabilities. Those are very, very limited checks. You get what you pay for in life, of course, and a $30 background or a $50 background is not going to yield a whole lot of information. So a typical routine employee screening type of check would include four or five components, such as criminal history educational history, employment verification, social security, and address verification, and sometimes credit history, depending on whether the person is going to have a financial, a degree of financial responsibility to the company, bookkeepers, accounting, that type of uh, person, uh, financial executives, obviously. And so those half a dozen components are the key ingredients, if you will, for routine background checks. And uh, the online data tools often don't match names correctly, so particularly with common names. Common names can provide very misleading information. You get a lot of false negatives, but you also have false positives. And because oftentimes they haven't got the identity of the person sitting in front of you. If you can imagine that you're a business owner uh, screening an employee that you'd like to hire – uh, if they have a very common name, and it could be uh, any of any ethnicities, so it could be uh, Rick Armstrong, or you know the John Smiths of the world, or Jose Garcia, or uh, or any type of name, it doesn't matter. Those database companies will often pull the wrong person. So there may be 40 or 50 people of that name in a particular county, and they'll pull the wrong, you know, Rick Armstrong for you and you think you've um, paid $20, 30 40 $50 for a background check of the right person that's sitting in front of you. And there's a reason for that, which most people, are and particularly most employers, are not aware of, and that is that Social Security numbers do uh, only tell us which counties the person has lived in in order to check criminal records in those counties. And so the Social Security number does not link to the criminal conviction history itself. Therefore you may get criminal history uh, information on the wrong person. It's not your candidate sitting in front of you that you'd like to hire. It's somebody else of the same name. And so what most people don't realize is date of birth is the primary identifier for criminal records, for example. And so if you don't have the date of birth when you go to the courthouse to search criminal records, you have most likely pulled the record for a different person of the same name. So that in itself can be very misleading. And then also with databases, online databases, they have holes of information. They may have date gaps. Uh, a lot of um, county courthouses today are very under budgeted and understaffed. And so when data gaps occur, your person may have had a conviction in that period of time but the records are not available in the online system. However, if you go down to the courthouse in person, you will find that information. So it's very prudent to have the full name of the person, the counties they've lived in, which would appear in the Social Security trace, and any other names that they're known by would also typically be related to the Social Security number. But you also need that other key ingredient, the date of birth. And so that that would apply to routine employee background checks. So there's a lot of data that's missing in those record- in those online database records. Additionally, statewide so called statewide and so called nationwide criminal records often are only capturing fifty percent of counties across the US. Did you know that? I Most had no are not idea. Aware of
0: that yeah, that's mm-hmm. surprising. You know, it, it makes you wonder what you can rely
1: on. Exactly. And so right there from the get-go, 50% of uh, criminal conviction histories will not even be captured in these online databases. So between the 50% of information that's not included uh, and the lack of misdemeanor conviction information, plus the fact that most people with common names can be, there can be many people of the same name in a given county, that yields a lot of false negative information out there. So typically we see that about 45 to 55% of all full-time employees have negatives in their background check, and that would be just on a routine background. Wow,
0: that's pretty high.
1: Yeah, it is high. Mm -hmm. And um, so many of these online, uh, less expensive background checks may yield we see most of our clients that have experienced that before they see less than 5 to 10% issues instead of 45 to 55%. So there's a big swing in in the quality of the information that's out there in routine employment screenings. So how
0: often are your clients surprised by the information that your investigators
1: uncover? Very often. <laughs> Very often. I would say a good 20 to 30% of the time where they wow. have not encountered the information before, or as in the case with executive background checks, if we uh, can talk about that for a moment, we see that about twenty percent of executives have serious no higher type issues in their backgrounds, so it's not enough just to screen uh, you know regular employee highs, but also prudent to screen executives also. Can you give me an example of
0: you know a client? or a situation you're aware of where the background check allowed them to really sidestep a big landmine? Sure. Well,
1: uh, we've just, a uh, couple of weeks ago, seen a senior executive who had already passed through three background checks at three of the top ten high-tech companies in the U.S. And he'd actually, not only did, not, did he not have his degree, he actually had forged his degree certificate. And so that was not caught by any other company. Big shock to our client who thought he would have passed easily through a background check. That would yeah. be one example. And another example, um, a senior VP of uh, finance was not performing well on, his, on the job and had passed a background check at that company uh, previously before we were involved. But the background screening company missed the fact that he had used a fake Social Security number, and actually he had spent seven years in federal prison for manslaughter whilst on cocaine and had a prayer multiple counts of cocaine convictions under that other uh, name so we see a lot of hidden aliases, hidden and undisclosed information and uh, other types of um, gaps of information uh, employment history gaps, a lot of people. Truly, are consultants today and have had their own businesses. That is very easy then for people who have, who'd like to cover up, perhaps not such a desirable history, by saying that they've been consulting when, when in fact, in some cases they've actually spent time in prison.
0: Well, that would be a fun conversation to have as a follow-up interview,
1: huh? <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> it's, uh, it can be quite a shock, um, I'm sure. particularly. In some areas, we've, we've had other individuals, uh, for example, in mergers and acquisitions uh, situations, and this can severely impact the size of, and um, costs involved in an M&A deal. For example, we were screening a group of executives who had started a legitimate startup company here in the U.S., but came from another country. And so whilst they were squeaky clean here in the U.S., We had run their background checks here, ourselves, as a due diligence investigation rather than routine backgrounds, and found the one red flag for possible money laundering. So we made the recommendation to that particular mid-market company to conduct due diligence of those uh, executives in their current country of origin. And that's where we found really an awful situation for the acquirer because they had Money laundered twenty million dollars through Swiss bank accounts and obviously used that money to seed fund a, a legitimate start up here, but with you know criminal activity behind it in their prior country and in addition to that, a long series of other issues bribery corruption racketeering, even murder so those are things that you wouldn 't want to find out about as you're about to close a deal in an acquisition of a small business. Uh, And that was a $5 million company size with about a $50 million market value. So that was very painful. I'm sure they had to, then the client had to quickly buy out the senior executive team to get them out of the picture. So it could, or or even if they had known earlier in the deal, perhaps they would have liked to create a carve out situation in that particular deal. So it can have tremendous impact on the direction a merger or acquisition takes.
0: Well, and if they don't catch it, then it's in the headlines, you know, because eventually exactly. something bad's going to happen. And more time and money has been invested by everybody and their careers. So, wow, I mean, those those are some unbelievable examples. I mean, who would have expected something like that? But you,
1: you see these things every day, right? We see them all the time. So 20% of executives don't check out with, with serious issues. And the the um, implications for companies are uh, potentially severe reputational damage. Um, that certainly has happened in a number of high-profile companies on lesser issues. Um, you know, Yahoo a few years ago had a CEO that had misrepresented just his degree, where he had a bachelor's degree, but... Uh, somewhere along the line, a, a, um, a minor in uh, in his uh, undergraduate degree was added, a computer science minor, and he did not actually have the minor. He had, he did have his initial degree, though, um, but once that hit uh, the tabloids, of course, that was a very serious situation for Yahoo, and that cost them over $7 million Uh it, just for four months of having that particular executive on board. And so there are are quite a few other uh, high-profile examples like that. But imagine also the the damage scandals that lead headline news today. You see it all the time. You can have crisis upon crisis. I think it was Chipotle recently that had an E. coli um, crisis. And in the middle of that crisis, the person who was their VP of communications it was found that he had misrepresented some information also. Well, actually, he, had, uh, he was caught in a, dr- uh, a drug bust, I believe, actually, so even more serious for him. So a lot of situations build on top of other situations that cause even more problems for the company. Uh, in Yahoo's case, the stock price dropped also on the news of, the, of them having to let go of the CEO. There was a, a crisis during the crisis during the Walmart bribery scandal where they were, excuse me, one of the newspapers released a story about a bribery scandal in Mexico. when well, I think that's still undergoing uh, investigation. So companies can be caught in the middle of another crisis with issues around their executives that can cause shareholder confidence loss, market confidence loss, the need to buy out an executive's contract, I would say that typically that costs most companies about five million dollars on average and in some cases could be significantly more than that.
0: And I would imagine that doing an investigation up front would be a little bit less than that. Is that fair to say?
1: Oh, a great deal less. <laughs> a few <laughs> thousand dollars compared to millions.
0: <laughs> yes, not to mention the headaches so. and heartaches of dealing
1: with those headlines, right? I mean, who wants that that roller coaster? exactly and also for larger companies uh, particularly if they're publicly traded companies they may it may invite uh, shareholder activism in the door the ability of sh- uh, activist shareholders to wedge and leverage their position and then uh, on the opposite side of that spectrum if you will take a nonprofit organization nonprofit organizations also suffer from issues like this where a problem in its executive team or board of directors or their executive director position, CEO, whichever um, title they may use for those key executive positions, may cause an erosion of donor base for 10 or 15, even 20 years. So non-profit organizations are very keen to protect their executive director hires and also their boards of directors from scandal and uh, significant issues that could come up in adverse headlines. So that's one of the big things that we do, is we help companies to protect themselves and stay out of adverse headlines.
0: Well, and that's a terrific service, because there's one thing about the market. The market really doesn't care about due process. You know, the stock market reacts, and people dump those shares. There are black eyes, there's reputation damage. And yeah, several years later, when it gets sorted out in court, or there's a settlement, it doesn't make the same headlines. It just doesn't have the same effect. So I appreciate the work that you do. It's really very, very important. But I'm wondering for. For emerging companies, for companies that are mid-market, that are scaling, at, at what point would you recommend they start screening employees, or I should say at what level of employees? Because you wouldn't want to
1: really screen all of them, would you? It depends on the size of the company. Once, once a company reaches 150, 200 employees, they tend to get repeat issues uh, in their employee base that they'd like to prevent. And to minimize you know subsequent lawsuits and other types of issues that can come up, so typically, when a company reaches that level they 'll do more routine background checks. but startup companies are also exposed, of course, and so startup companies should consider looking at their screening their executive hires um, that 's a very classic situation to where people may not know their executives that they'd like to bring on board. And I I can give an example of that in just a moment. So that would be really the ideal time. Really, the the ideal time is any (laughs) time. Truthfully, the ideal time for every company. However, realistically, most companies tend to start screening employees much later in the process once they started getting similar issues or repeat issues in the workforce, sexual harassment and stalking and uh, embezzlement, theft, fraud—that type of thing. Those are all kinds of issues that come up commonly in the workplace.
0: Well, they, and everybody thinks it's not going to happen here because we're just a family. Everybody gets along, so why would anybody do that? Until it happens,
1: you know, and, and then exactly. it's another story, right? Exactly. And I think most companies have that tale to tell. Unfortunately, it's prudent to really understand where are the differences between the different levels of employee in in an organization and what level of investigation to do. So I often say routine background checks fine for most um, office hires, Uh, but people that are going to have sensitive data access, anybody with financial fiduciary responsibilities obviously should not just have those five components. Certainly would want to add credit history to that. Many companies don't realize that federal criminal issues include things like um, intellectual property theft, which won't appear in county-level records. They might have done 20 years ago when these things first came up as uh, criminal actions. But uh, in, say, the last years or so, most of those are prosecuted as federal crimes. And so if you're not looking at federal criminal records, that would be... um, a potentially very serious oversight, particularly for IT companies, any, anyone involved in high-tech, in the high-tech world, really. Interesting. Uh, intellectual property theft is a big deal. And then also on the financial side, financial um, issues such as SEC violations, those come up under civil records checks. So federal civil records are separate from county-level civil records. And so those are the kinds of things that uh, people should know about when they're trying to make a decision uh, about uh, and, and actually layer the background check according to the job responsibilities involved and the degree of sensitive data and fiduciary interest that the company um, may be exposed to. And so for executives, that's particularly important. So... Uh, just to give you an example, of why you, what, what would you miss in doing a routine background check on executives? So we've covered a, a couple of examples. Hidden aliases, that's a big issue, particularly if you don't find the alias, because you won't find the crime typically that comes along with it. Uh, intellectual property theft, we just discussed. Money laundering, bribery, racketeering, interstate bankruptcies, SEC violations concealed criminal action activities, name changes, historical issues that might come back as a skeleton in the closet for companies, undisclosed business ownership, for example, undisclosed board involvement, that could be a very important issue for a senior executive or certainly for an executive sitting on a board of directors. If you don't know and they didn't think to disclose it to you, that can happen too, where an executive may think, well, You know, I serve on my brother-in-law's board of directors. It's really not related to my job here, and they don't think of disclosing it. And yet, perhaps two or three years down the road, a conflict develops there. That could be a very serious issue. Signs of malfeasance, misconduct, financial pressures. Financial pressures are very important and certainly very heavily tied to certain types of crime and malfeasance against companies, uh, misconduct against companies, different types. Adverse media issues can be a problem, particularly for executives. And then other types of things, litigious behavior, anti-competitive behavior. So all of these are things that you wouldn't find in a typical routine background check that are extremely important and would certainly, many of these examples, not all, but many of them, most actually, would be a no-hire issue if it were to uh, come up. One time, just to give you a quick example of that, uh, of the um, undisclosed business ownership. One time we were asked to check on an executive who wasn't showing up for work routinely. And it turned out that he was a general, general manager of a $30 million business for our client. But he was also their $40 million competitor. <laughs> oh, so he wow. owned their their largest competitive, yes largest competing company. And so that when they found out, they obviously wanted to terminate the relationship as quickly as possible. And that can be very complex. You can imagine that, you know, he has access to all of their pricing strategy, their future and current sales, all of their clients. Every aspect of business strategy would be affected there. Definitely. And not
0: just to mention that not only does he know it, but the information has probably left the building with Elvis.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so it can be very compromising for a company to be in that kind of situation. It's, you know, it's interesting to hear these kind of stories, but when it happens to you, it's not a good situation to be in. And it could have been so easily prevented.
0: Yeah, understood. Um, understood.
1: Basic uh, executive due diligence would have revealed the fact that he was involved in another organization. And so part of that, part of finding this undisclosed and hidden information is in looking at deep Internet and deep media searches, and that's something we specialize in, where the uh, deep Internet is 500 times greater in size than the Google, Yahoo, Bing type searches that most people think constitute the Internet. There's the deep Internet, the dark Internet, historical Internet. There's a, a great deal of information out there that some of which goes back ten, twenty, thirty years, and um, particularly if a person has changed their name, that's something that could be extremely critical to know about in advance.
0: You know, you're scaring me here, Candice. Deep internet skeletons in the closet. I mean, this this is like a, the another dimension altogether here, and and something business owners and companies that are scaling in particular really need to be aware of. And I'm so glad that you've been able to shed some light on this. We're, we're almost out of time here. And I do want to ask you about who have been influencers in your life, because this is such a unique business that you're in. And, you know, I joked earlier about, you know, what's a nice girl like you doing as a private investigator. But tell me about some of the things that have been sort of the guiding light or influences in your career as you've gone down this journey, this path. Sure. Uh,
1: so I think in the early days of my um, development uh, and growth and, were my parents' values. I think many of us would understand where our um, values, systems, and uh, integrity all come into play later on, particularly as a small business owner. So Hannah, my father was an entrepreneur and I got to see him going through the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur as I was growing up. Both my parents had a very strong work ethic and extremely high integrity uh, people. And um, that's kind of the hallmark in our families, very high integrity and striving for education, doing better things in the world, and so forth. But also, I think later on, I was working at a civil engineering firm. Uh, Actually, I was in environmental engineering. This was over 30 years ago, a long time ago. And I met and worked with a wonderful woman who became a mentor to me who was a senior VP at this very conservative, traditional civil engineering firm. And she really taught me how to present and deliver high-quality work, you know, top-tier work in a very tough consulting environment. Consulting engineering is, is a extremely tough environment in terms of always creating the best possible work. And so that became the hallmark of the work that we did as Infratel to provide the best quality that we could all the time for clients. It's really pervasive in the work culture here in my company. All of my staff, uh, thankfully, are that type of person, high integrity, dedicated to doing things the right way. Uh, we, We work great with our clients, and it's really about, as you know, for many small business owners, it's about building that degree of trust in a relationship and delivering a good quality product of work. And so for us, that's really the driving force, and those were the main influences for me, I would say.
0: You know, it's obvious from the way you speak about the work, and I'm also confident that all of your employees have had big background checks.
1: <laughs> they so, have. <laughs> we do managerial level background checks. On, I'm on sure.
0: I'm sure. From the reception, <laughs> they really to have the to the be Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's that's part of the the deal when they walk in and sign up with you. <laughs> Full disclosure, <laughs> <Right>. open kimono. <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. We do practice what
0: we preach. Yeah, which is so important. (laughs) You know, the consistency, because, you know, I've seen so many companies that have value statements, and it's like, yeah, (laughs) you want to use that as a fire starter because you're not living up to it. So it's really refreshing to see the work that you're doing, the companies that you're helping with this in particular. and. I wish I could go on longer and maybe we'll have you come back as a guest another time because, you know, things like the deep web and all this other stuff, I'm sure people have have questions about uh, that we could explore further. But in wrapping up here, are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave with the listeners?
1: Sure. I would say certainly for all business sizes, people are the number one weakest link in business whether it's crimes against the company, misconduct, malfeasance, whether it's deliberate or or not deliberate, people certainly are the number one weakest link. And that's true for other areas such as cyber attacks. So if you think about trends for the future, certainly for small business, medium, large businesses, what are the common types of trends? Uh, People being the number one weakest link. Uh, Cyber attacks. Most cyber attacks are really about the people, either causing or, or enabling the attack to occur. Again, deliberately or not deliberately is not the question here. So cyber attacks will continue to increase. And if we think that's bad enough, Internet of Things is heading our way, it's here already. And I've read some reports that say that expect a hundred times greater risk factor with the Internet of Things than even with cyber attacks so we all have to become that much more aware of where our weakest links are not only on the human side but also on in our systems larger companies will need to show that they are complying with regulatory requirements for the future by and passing that down into their supply stream so uh smaller companies second and tier third tier even fourth tier companies are going to need to show and demonstrate that they're complying This is already the case with federal contracts. Many of your listeners will already know this, that more and more companies are being asked to do federal background checks or background checks that would be compliant with federal regulations. And that really talks to a lot of what we've just spoken about today. If you don't identify risks, you really can't manage them. So it's very important to be able to identify risks in your organization. And then the last thing I would say, there's a lot of hidden and undisclosed information out there. So know your business partners, know your trading partners, and know your employees.
0: Terrific. This has been very valuable. I know I've learned some things, and I'm sure I could learn a whole lot more if we had lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, but, Hannah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be sweet. It's just uh, If you come onto the East Coast, we'll we'll do that, okay? You've got a standing invitation. Oh, Thank you. But I admire the philosophy that your work embodies about being able to identify risk early, before things blow up. It's it's so much uh, less expensive, and it can help move your business forward in the right direction. So thank you for the work you do. Thank you for the time that you've shared and the insights that you've shared. It's been wonderful to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Candice.
1: Thanks, Hannah. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, Business Confidential Radio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then,